So if I were to offer two titles for this message this morning, I would probably title it Sinking Our Souls or A Clash of Kingdoms, which is in your bulletin. We are a calendar-based culture. If you're like me, you're driven by holidays and specific seasons, schools, banks, businesses open or close dependent upon holidays, seasons we take vacations at certain times of the year, our lives can be calendar-based, calendar-driven, appointments, work schedules, social engagements, it's part of our calendar world. For my part, I've got two calendars, and I hope that they sync up with each other. I've got one on my phone, I've got one on my laptop, and when I enter something into one, it goes to the other, and vice versa. Problems arise when they don't sync up, and I miss appointments, and and I'm not keeping track of all that. But I try to sync those calendars up. When it comes to our spiritual journey and our life as a faith community, I think it's important to be mindful of the calendar that we sync up with or sync up with. For our calendars are the drivers and, if you will, the record of our allegiances, and they go a long way to shaping our souls. Now, the way, reason I bring this up is... Quakers don't often follow the liturgical or Christian calendar. For years, there has been what is called the Christian calendar followed by liturgical churches, which involves symbols and dates and, and certain celebrations in certain seasons. In fact, Advent is coming up, and Advent is the start of the Christian calendar, the start of, of the, the liturgical year. And then there's Christmas, Epiphany, Ordinary Times, so on and so forth. And Quakers have not really followed the Christian calendar mainly as a witness to the reality that every day is sacred, every Sunday or first day is a a day in which Christ is risen, Christ is born into the world, Christ is present to us in spirit, Christ is king. And Quakers are not against the Christian calendar, they just simply don't see it as something that is necessary, often because it's a human construct, and because Christ is always present. Now having said that, I'm always very well aware as to how a non-liturgical church, like a Quaker meeting, can get so caught up in any other church that's non-liturgical, can get so caught up in a secular calendar that we get out of sync with living in rhythm with the spiritual journey and being formed and shaped by a different kind of narrative. That narrative which is the kingdom of God, God's rule and God's reign over creation. And if not careful, the life of a church The life of a faith community, even a friend's meeting, can be structured around national holidays, around church events such as bazaars and dinners, rather than the life and way of Jesus and the claim of God's rule and reign and what claim it makes upon our life. Actually, I'm very always fascinated. I don't know how churches do it this time of year. About next Sunday or the next Sunday after that, how many signs I'll drive by where there is... Uh, a bazaar coming up, a Christmas bazaar, a Christmas dinner, a Christmas craft sale, one right after the other. And, And don't get me wrong, friends, these are all very good things. People put time and effort into this, and often the proceeds go towards some very good things. And this past Friday was Black Friday, and this Yesterday was Small Business Saturday, and then tomorrow is Cyber Monday, and then I think it's Giving Tuesday, and then I like to say then it's Deficit Wednesday, and uh, Go Get a Loan Thursday so we can get to Payday Friday. (laughs) But within all of those days, how many of us knew that this is Christ the King Sunday? As the, yes, I see my two Episcopalian friends over there like, there are no door prizes this morning, so sorry, all right? Liturgi- that's right. 
Liturgical folks know this is Christ the King Sunday. Most Quakers don't, and that's okay. But what I want to invite us to think about is the power that we can receive the benefit from acknowledging that on certain Sundays, it's good to acknowledge there is a certain focus. So Christ the King Sunday is a Sunday between the end of the Christian calendar and the beginning of the new year in the Christian calendar. It's the Sunday before the first Sunday of Advent, which is next Sunday. And its purpose really is what it says to celebrate the coming reign of Christ as King of the earth and the continued hope of a renewed creation, which is the intent of the kingdom of God. It's sort of a bridge Sunday between the end of the Christian calendar and the beginning again of a new year. And it invites us to sync up our lives with the one who invites our allegiance and devotion. Which brings me to this conversation with Jesus and Pilate. Which brings me to my original title, A Clash of Kingdoms. And Pilate is the governor representing the emperor Tiberius Caesar. And Jesus is this embodiment of God's rule, reign, and dream for all of creation. In other words, the kingdom of God. Jesus' message... The good news, when we really read the Gospels, is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. It is right here with us now. For something to be at hand means it's within reach. God's intent for all of creation, God's dream, if you will, for all of creation, what God intends to be a renewed creation, a renewed hope, a restored creation. There will be no more violence. There will be no more war. There will be no more suffering. That is God's intent. And he says it's within reach. It's at hand. It's in Jesus, and you see it in him. That is the good news. That is what we read in the Gospels. And so you have this clash of kingdoms. You have, on one hand, you have Pilate, who represents Emperor Tiberius Caesar, and you have Jesus. And Jesus makes clear, my kingdom does not originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't from here. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if my kingdom were like your kingdom, you'd be dead right now, Pilate. If my kingdom were like your kingdom, I would have had a legion of followers. And what Jesus was saying is, and they're all ready to go. They were called the zealots. And a lot of other folks had hoped it would be a violent overturn. In fact, Jesus was saying, in essence, all I have to do is say, go. And there will be a band of folks in this place right now. Probably could take you out. Probably do a lot of damage to your soldiers. And it would be bloody. And it would be violent. But Jesus says, but my kingdom isn't from here. It's a whole different way of living. Jesus' kingdom originates from the heart and dream of God. Jesus' kingdom originates from the intention of God. And it came to life in Jesus and continues to this day. Through those willing to claim Jesus as king and offer their allegiance to him. It's two very different kingdoms. It's a clash of kingdoms. And the clash of kingdoms didn't just happen then, it happens now. It doesn't just happen outside of us. Often that clash of kingdoms happens inside of me. The kingdom of greed and the kingdom of wanting to contribute. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of looking out for others. 
The kingdom of wanting to consume and the kingdom of just wanting to live in simplicity and contentment. So it's not always just out there. It can be in here as well. What do these two different kingdoms look like? All right. Well, the kingdoms of this world, they rely on power and violence. The kingdom of God empties itself of power and it trusts and practices nonviolence. The kingdoms of this world, they dominate and they compete and they disregard the weak and the powerless. And the kingdom of God shares and invites the weak and powerless to share in abundance. The kingdoms of this world are very concerned about who is in and who is out and who gets the most powerful seat at the table. And the kingdom of God invites everyone to pull up a chair to the table. And all are welcome and all are included. And by the way, most of what I'm saying here shows up in Jesus' parables and stories. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdoms of this world, they trust vengeance, they trust payback, they trust redemptive violence to get things done, to settle the score. And the kingdom of God trusts reconciliation and peacemaking and forgiveness. The kingdoms of this world, they live in fear, and they often nurture hate based on fear. And the kingdom of God lives in love and realizes that love can cast out fear, especially fear of those that are different and fear of the other. The kingdom of this world finds security and possessions and power, and the kingdom of God offers security and God's loving provision and care for our lives. In fact, as God says, look at the birds. They're always fed. They're always taken care of. I take care of all that I love who will, and who put their trust in me. Kingdoms of this world tell us that we only have to look out for ourselves, and the kingdom of God invites us to live in community, seek the common good, become our brother and sister's keeper. And then the kingdoms of this world tell us there's no room or hope for failures. Losers and those who squander their lives away in the kingdom of God opens the door wide to those who feel as if they have thrown everything away through failure and invites them to try again. And they are celebrated with a party. And if you want to see a great picture of that, read The Return of the Prodigal Son, that story. That is the kingdom in a nutshell. That is the kingdom in essence. We squander our lives away. We squander our gifts away. We make mistakes. And God throws open the door and welcomes us back in again and again and again. Luke, in his gospel, tells about the time that Jesus had a conversation with the Pharisees, and it went like this. Jesus, grilled by the Pharisees on when the kingdom of God would come, answered, the kingdom of God doesn't come by counting the days on the calendar, nor when someone says, look here or there, there it is. And why? Because, kingdom, because God's kingdom is already among you. It's among us. It's come to us in Jesus and invites us to choose who will be our ruler and who will receive our allegiance. It invites me. It invites me and asks me, who will be your ruler, Scott? Who will be your king, if you will? Who will be your God? Later in the conversation with Pilate, Pilate says, so you're a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. I was born and I came into the world for this reason, to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks that famous question, what is truth? Which I find very ironic because if Pilate could just open up his eyes, he would have known that truth stood right in front of him. It wasn't a proposition, it wasn't a creed, it was a person living in the way God intends us to live and showing us how to live through Jesus.
In his own words, Jesus gives us a reason that he was born into this world, to testify to the truth, the truth that is the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And Jesus didn't just testify in words, he testified in the way he lived his life. His life was the embodiment of the kingdom of God. And this is the Quaker understanding, by the way, of our testimonies. Our testimonies of simplicity and peace and integrity and community and equality are how we testify to the truth. The truth is that God's kingdom doesn't originate from this world and that there's a greater, more powerful kingdom that operates in a totally different way but yet brings more abundance, life, and peace. It is a kingdom that promises that God will care and provide, love us unconditionally and heal our wounds and make us whole. Later in John chapter 19, we read that Pilate asks his Jewish leaders, do you ever get the sense, by the way, Pilate is not convinced that Jesus needs to be executed. He doesn't see it. He just doesn't see it. But Pilate was also convinced that if he didn't do what the crowd wanted him to do, then he was going to be killed. Oftentimes, the mob doesn't make the best decisions. Mobs don't often make decisions that are in keeping with God's kingdom. So later in John 19, Pilate asks the Jewish leaders, what? Do you want me to crucify your king? To which they replied this simply, we have no king except the emperor. But on that they were wrong. They'd had a king all their life. They had God. And now they had a new king in the form of Jesus. But in that moment, they chose a different king over the one that truly brings life. We might say it the same thing, but a little differently. I have no king except my own self-interest. I have no king except my own ideology. I have no king except my own political allegiances. I have no king except my own way of doing life. I have no king but myself. We have no king except the emperor. This is Christ the King Sunday. I hope I don't lose my Quaker card. But I think it's important to recognize before we journey into Advent that we're being invited to follow a different kind of king. We're being invited to follow a different kind of kingdom we're being invited to follow a different kind of way of life. I've got my social engagements, I've got my social calendar, I've got things I'm going to be attending, and I've got that calendar. And that calendar is up here, but I hope beneath that calendar is this other one where there is this rhythm to life where I keep asking myself, what does it mean to follow the one who is the King? Jesus Christ. What does it mean to follow the one who is the king of a different way of living, the kingdom of God. As we move into Advent, as we move deeper into Advent and closer to Christmas Day, we're invited to sync our lives up with the kingdom of God, to sync our lives up with this new way of living that we see in Jesus, to sync our lives up with the purposes of God as witnessed in Jesus, and to sync our lives up with the love of God, which is what compelled God to enter our world out of love. 
So we sit and we ponder and we reflect and we ask ourselves the hard question. I go back to Psalm 95 that I read earlier. Come, let's sing out loud to the Lord. Let's raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanks. Let's shout songs of joy to him. The Lord is a great God. He is the great king over all the other gods. The question I have to ask myself is simply, is he? Do I have other smaller gods in my life? Or is he really the king over all these other gods? That's a question before us on this Sunday. How do we answer? How do you answer? How do we collectively answer as a faith community?